0: Hey, everybody. Today's episode of Shoppernomics is brought to you by Decision Breakers, experts in behavior-based shopper strategy, insights, and activation. Visit www.decisionbreakers.com to learn more and see how they can help you win the war in store. Welcome to Shopper Dynamics, the podcast for marketing and insight professionals who want to stay current on the latest understanding of consumer behavior and decision making. My name is Phil McGee, and my guest today is Maggie Guwens, professor of marketing at Ghent University in Belgium. Maggie and her colleagues recently published a paper titled Clicks as a healthy alternative to bricks: How online grocery shopping reduces vice purchases. And Maggie is here to discuss the research behind this paper and what we need to know about marketing virtuous and vice products online. Maggie, welcome to Shoppernomics. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, um, as you mentioned, I'm a professor at Ghent University, and uh, I've been working at that university since 2000. Before that I worked in Antwerp uh, and in Brussels. So I've been wandering a bit around in Belgium, but uh, have not uh, had an appointment yet in uh, the US or any other country. Um, and the topics I've been working on is mainly marketing, branding and consumer behaviour. And as you mentioned, uh, lately we have been studying uh, food products, etc., and we are trying to get people to eat and behave more healthy.
0: Uh, So, Maggie, I'll I'll tell you why your study caught my attention. Uh, Several years ago, I did a path-to-purchase study on lunch and dinner shopping in supermarkets. And one of the more fascinating learnings was the importance of context on whether shoppers were more inclined to choose vice products or virtuous products. So, for example, uh, we found that when shoppers were planning their shopping... Uh, they were more likely to make virtuous choices, like the the lower calorie or organic option. Uh, Mm -hmm. But when shopping in-store, they were more likely to make the vice choices, like like the ones that appeared more indulgent or gratifying. Now, um, to explain this, I found myself digging into literature on topics that, at that time, were completely new to me. Um, Things like self-control, cognitive resource depletion, hyperbolic discounting, temporal decision-making, and all kinds of fascinating topics And I mean, it completely changed my thinking and approach to shopper insights. So when I saw your paper and that it talked about vices and virtues, but in a different context, you know, bricks and mortar uh, specifically or bricks and clicks, I had to study it because it added a new layer of understanding (laughs) on consumer decision making and in particular in the context of online shopping where we have a lot to learn about shopper behavior. So, so speaking of context, let's start by giving listeners some context to this study. Um, what was the background of the study, you know, how did it come about?
1: Well, um, a few years ago, the Study Center for Salty and Sugary Snacks I was wondering how important the evolution to more online grocery shopping would be for snack and sweets producers. And in that context, they contacted us and asked us whether we could set up a study investigating this issue, whether people would indeed change their behavior a little bit and that actually, um, yeah, these snacks, uh, these sweets and so on, these indulgent products, would be bought less frequently when people move to the online channel as compared to the offline channel.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And so um, was there something about this topic that appealed to you personally?
1: Well, uh, it appealed to to my research group a lot because... uh, Lately, we have been uh, working on on food uh, quite a lot, uh, and as I mentioned in the introduction already, uh, we we're trying to get people to behave more healthy, etc. And um, this fitted nicely in uh, because uh, we have been doing some some studies on product presentation, product packaging, and now this uh, the retail channels. This was also something that grabbed our attention, and uh, we thought like, well, this would be nice uh, to investigate because uh, yeah, it's important for several people not only for those producers but also for the retailers um for the governments and uh, for the consumers themselves uh, so that we can also learn something about our behavior and protect ourselves a little bit against it
0: absolutely and and i know a lot of the initiatives and and research uh today is really for um you know for societal good right so we're you know we're trying Mm -hmm. to get people to eat more healthy um but at the same time i you know uh, Many of our listeners are are marketers of vice products too, um, so I hope you don't mind if I ask you questions that you know uh, would be of interest to them as well.
1: Oh, sure, sure, no problem.
0: Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, looking just just want to make sure that uh, we can we can make it balanced. Um, yeah. So so before we get too far into this, uh, let's let's talk about virtues and vices. Um, can you define them so we're all talking about the same thing?
1: Yeah, well, virtue is something um, that is good for you in the long term. It's not always something that you are looking for at that moment or that you think like, whoa, I want to have this right now. Mm -hmm. But you know that it's good for you in the long term. While uh, if we talk about vices, this is something that we are usually eager to have right now because it's very pleasing. But it's not so good for us in the long term.
0: Okay. And so it, it sounds like they're, they're self-evident. You, you know a vice when you see it. You know a, a virtuous product <laughs> when you see it.
1: Yeah, in uh, that.
0: Okay. So, so let's talk um, uh, about offline shopping for, for just a minute. Say, mm-hmm. you know, shopping for food in a grocery store. What behaviors or decision styles would we expect with respect to virtues and vices as shoppers go about their shopping?
1: well um if it's in in an offline store where you see the products then the sensory distance is pretty close and this actually entices you or like uh, it's very easy for you to imagine how it would be consuming the product and how it would feel and how it would make you feel etc and this makes that we want to have instant gratification actually and that it's very hard for us to control it yeah? yeah so and this makes the big difference between offline and online uh, shopping yeah? because uh, in an online shopping um, area uh, on a site for example the products are not really there you just see an image a picture of it but you right. don't see the real product
0: right 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 okay so that makes sense um, but a question I've, I've always had in my mind um, is if, if I'm in a grocery store and I'm standing in front of the cookie section, mm-hmm. um, how is it, is it gratifying to buy the cookies? Because I'm not going to open the bag of cookies right now and, and enjoy them. Um, it's it's going to be for a future consumption. Um, yet there is that instant gratification just by the act of buying it's
1: for sure that when you buy something in an offline context then you know that you have the possibility to immediately mm. consume it mm. and you store, so you know that you don't have to wait long huh? so you have the possibility so you you have the the option to 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 preserve it for later and, yes. and to consume yes. it in a later instance but you also know that from the moment I've paid for it I can't start consuming it
0: yeah hmm? that's a good point and I also thought and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but you you talk a lot about the vividness of product <laughs> presentation and I, I've also I've often wondered whether it's the vividness that, um, you know, an unpackaged product, for example, is, uh, or, or a package with, you know, highly, um, you know, high quality graphics could, um, could make me imagine myself enjoying it. So I I may not necessarily open the bag of cookies right then, but I, I imagine myself enjoying them, um,
1: -hmm.
0: because of that vividness of the product, um, the way it's presented. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah and, and this vividness is only one aspect, of course, and, and this is yes. what we have been mainly focusing on. But it's certainly also the case if retailers use scents, huh? so for example, the scent of freshly baked waffles or freshly baked bread, etc. This will make it even more difficult to resist yes. uh, the, the products. Huh? Yes. Um, uh, so these are other differences between online and offline context. Uh, mm. So in, in, in a real store, in a brick-and-mortar store, you have these scents, you have uh, appealing lights uh, on the products, uh, you often have uh, music that brings you in the right uh, consumption mm. Uh, So you you have all this, uh, what we call the store atmospherics, uh, that will also influence you. And so when we started the research, we thought uh, to find, uh, or that we would find the differences between online and offline. um, And we thought that the store atmospherics would be very important. and as well as, for example, different shopping motives, and because it's possible that people shop online for other reasons than offline. And for example, because they don't want to drag bulky and heavy products, um, and that's why they order them online. While in an offline context, they rather go for uh, for um, vegetables and um, for fruit, etc. Yeah. But actually, we controlled for all these factors. And still, we found uh, a significant impact. And um, yeah, by means of several studies, we were able to find what is now the real underlying process here. And that was this, the images. Uh, so whether it was a, a vivid picture um, or the real product, uh, and that made uh, a big difference.
0: And so you know, this, so this is another thing that I loved about this paper is that you really approach this. Uh, very thoughtfully and comprehensively, there are actually four experiments included in this study, um, each with you know different methodologies intended to isolate different effects. Um, yeah. So you know, without taking the time to go through you know each of the studies, just kind of the big question: what what are the main learnings from this from this work?
1: Well, the main learnings is that when um, uh, that consumers will purchase less vice products in an online supermarket as compared to the traditional brick-and-mortar supermarket because in an online context the products are i mean just just the picture whereas offline you see them physically and a picture or a symbolic presentation decreases the product's vividness, and because of that, it's harder to imagine the gratification that will arise from the product, and that diminishes consumers' desire to seek instant gratification and leads them to buy uh, fewer vices in the end.
0: Yeah, and and you talk about um, that uh, uh, opaque packaging creates sensory distance, where Mm -hmm. consumers' desire for gratification is lessened compared to unpackaged products where sensory distance is removed, and as a result, consumers' desire for gratification increases. Um, Can can you talk a little bit about the relationship between packaging, sensory distance, and the desire for gratification?
1: Well, um, actually, we were a bit of a surprise because we thought, like, if we looked at prior research, then we see that this difference uh, um, between, um, for example, products that are unpacked, like a freshly baked waffle, etc., etc., then it's very difficult to resist. And we thought if we now look um, at a retail environment where a lot of products have an opaque packaging, so that you actually cannot see the products inside, huh? um, and it's, it is packaged, it's not an unpacked product. Right. We thought the difference would be much smaller, hmm. but still we did find these differences, and we were kind of surprised by that, so that just seeing the products, uh, so the, the 3D image, let's put yeah. it that way, is already strong enough. But if you would have an unpacked product, um, then the effects probably are even much, much bigger than what we found.
0: Fascinating. And, and in fact, you, you did talk briefly about the potential for new online technologies like 3D mm-hmm. interactive images that, that create more of a sensory experience and a sense of yep. being there. Um, yeah. Would Would you expect shoppers to make more vice purchases when using such technologies?
1: Yes, I think so. So if it's 3D or, for example, you also have, I'm not very familiar with that, but I've heard about it, a kind of haptic devices so that you can get an idea of the scent, the smell of the product, or the touch so that you can, can feel it. Well, Yeah. Mm. For, for for VICE products, the, the touch is not so important, I right. guess, but the smell could be very important. Mm. Huh? So if you could give uh, a flavor of how it <laughs> would smell, this freshly baked waffle and, and so on, um, that would uh, entice people more, I guess, huh, to, to also buy it online than, um, than is the case right now. We're just showing uh, a 2D image of the product.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Um by the way, I really liked your application for market researchers where you argue that survey research using product images or, or symbolic presentations, to use your terminology, uh, may result in attitudes that differ from those when evaluating products using physical presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, to that point, is there is there anything you might recommend survey researchers do to control for these differences? Like, Are are there situations when you might want to use a symbolic presentation and and other situations when it's better to use a physical presentation Or, or does the methodology really force that choice and the best you can do is really just know that it may bias your results?
1: Well, I guess um, your research question is very important um, for this. Eh? So uh, depending on what you really want to investigate, you will need one or the other. Um, but certainly um, you need to control for it that in for example if you have uh, different samples that for each sample it is shown in exactly the same manner and that not for one sample you would use uh, a an, an real product and in another sample you would use the image of the product because that in itself would already create differences besides any other differences between the samples that you have and so that's certainly important and for the rest you have to keep in mind that um, yeah if you work with images instead of the real product that, um, yeah, the, the instant gratification that normally is evoked and that people want to have that, uh, that want to have the product and they feel attracted to it, etc. that it's a bit lower with images so that you, you should realize that it's higher, um, when you show the real product.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a re- it's a really, really important point. And, and in fact, I've always argued, you know, at a minimum in survey research, um, Online, where respondents don't just see the brand, you know, spelled out in a word, but rather see the brand logo. Um, it, it doesn't get you all the way there. Uh, no. In fact, very far from from all the way there. But but it's at least it's a step in the right direction. And, and, and I, th- I yeah. think any way you can, you know, build more um, you know reality around uh, uh, around the presentation yeah, is is going to be more representative in your responses.
1: Indeed, indeed, okay. yes. And the logo is already good, but if you just have a written description, then yeah. it's very far removed from what is really there. So
0: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a challenge for uh, for conjoint, um, uh, yeah. you know, designs where a lot of it is basically you know verbally described. Um, uh-huh. You can't always you know see it in an image.
1: Definitely. So
0: so one of the things you discussed uh, was whether the physical act of handling a product in store might spark the selection of vices. Um, yet, you didn't find that to be the case. Uh, can you explain why you might expect to see that? Um, you know, the handling, handling or grasping a product would trigger an, uh, an approach motivation, uh, and, and instead what you found in your research?
1: We have one of the experiments, and what we did there is um, we replaced the physical products in our offline store, so a store we made ourselves, um, by images of the products. So we had 2D pictures, and um, we plastified, or how do you call it, so we made it from from hard plastic and put these pictures on the shelves.
0: Okay,
1: Then we ask people to shop just as in a regular store so they could take the pictures instead of the real products. And if we compare them with an online context, we don't find a difference anymore. So if it's indeed about Taking the product, so the behave, um the movement, so because it's approach behavior, indeed. So um, you you pull the product towards you. If that would explain our results, then we should also have found the channel effect when we use these pictures on the shelf instead of the real products. But the effect disappeared. So that cannot be an explanation. Yeah,
0: interesting. I thought it was, that was very very interesting. Um, Okay, so I'm, I'm now going to reference um, something that you talk about. Um, uh, just so you know, it's uh, page 11 of your report, but that's that's incidental. Where you talk about uh, comparing benefits and downsides of virtues and vices directly. Um, can you can you explain? Because you said that your findings suggest that symbolic presentations also decrease the choice of vices in a grocery shopping environment even when consumers are not forced to compare the benefits and downsides of vices and virtues directly. Um, So can you explain what you mean by not forced to compare the benefits and downsides of vices and virtues directly?
1: Well, um, you see, in prior studies, they usually asked people to make a choice between two products. For example, a cake versus a fruit salad. Yes. And then they are forced to make a choice between vice and virtue <laughs> right. because they have one of each product. But um, we tried to stick to reality as closely as possible. And therefore, we wanted to have many products, and people could make multiple choices. Ah. So actually, they could go for both vice and virtues. They didn't have to make a choice like, I'm only going to pick vice products or I'm only going to pick. Um, virtual products, no, they could say, like, oh, a couple of unhealthy products. And we thought this was very important, a very important aspect of our research, because, as I said uh, in previous research, it was all very nicely controlled, and I like previous prior studies a lot, but we missed a bit this realistic aspect in it, eh? because if you go shopping... You go for multiple products and you don't make only one decision. And it's not the case that you only have binary choice sets, uh, that you have to choose one of two products and are not allowed to take both of them. In reality, you can do that. And that's what is something we wanted to take in in our research. uh, So this being as close as possible to, to reality
0: makes perfect so let's talk about the shoppers basket composition um you you showed that online baskets have fewer vice products than offline baskets and and i I believe that was on a percentage basis correct
1: yes Uh, in first study there was a case yeah
0: okay so so i'm curious did did fewer vice products also mean smaller baskets overall Where, for example, there were fewer vice products, but no change in virtuous products? Or was it really more about uh, the, the proportion? So the baskets were the same size... It was just the proportion that was different.
1: It's the proportion that is different because what we actually did, because it is a big difference eh, whether you have a very large basket or a small basket. So and for this reason, we did the analysis for different um, sizes of the total basket. So we split the data in different categories eh, very small, a Mm -hmm. little bit bigger, etc. And we Mm -hmm. found the same effect for all different sizes that we investigated of the shopping basket.
0: You did find that online baskets were larger than offline baskets, um, generally speaking. Um, Mm -hmm. Any understanding of why that is or or just, you know, thoughts on on why, why it might be?
1: Well, we think that uh, if people buy online, well, at least for the retailer that uh, we used, huh, so of the retailer of which we had the database, you have to pay a fixed fee um, to for the online groceries. And that means, I guess, that people want to have bigger baskets huh, because otherwise it would be too costly. Then the percentage that you have to, or the mm. fixed fee that you have to pay would be too big a part of the total basket then.
0: You understand I mean, it makes perfect sense I know uh, we have a uh, uh, Costco here is a is a warehouse club uh, membership mm-hmm. and um, and you know it's, it's it's kind of a joke how you know you go into Costco expecting to spend thirty dollars and you end up spending 250 dollars um, yeah you know, in, in part because just it's such a, uh, a treasure hunt experience but also you want to make sure that the membership pays for itself um, mm-hmm. yeah so that, that's a really good point. Uh, Okay, so now let's talk about product categorization, because I know this is, um, you know, one of the core um, elements of your paper, uh, because I found this fascinating and and incredibly important for online marketers. So in in your second study where you used a controlled laboratory setting, um, Mm -hmm. you found no significant difference between an online store with a traditional product categorization, uh, where, for example, when you clicked on cookies you would see an assortment of cookie brands uh, and an online store with no categorization, meaning products were presented as, as if they were in an offline store. So in your opinion, what does this tell us about the effectiveness of traditional product categorizations that are used so prevalently in, in online stores today? Um, You know, in in other words, can, can you envision a more effective way to categorize or organize products online?
1: Um, This was actually not the purpose uh, of why we did it, and we haven't investigated anything on that issue. Um, Why we um, measured this or investigated this was because um, some colleagues told us, like, the difference that you find between online and offline shopping could actually be due to the fact that if you shop online, you just avoid device categories you don't click on it Mm. and then you don't see them and because you don't see them you don't buy them Mm. and that's what we wanted to control for and that's actually the reason why we worked with two different categorization one as it normal is in an online environment and the other one taking the picture so that we actually force people also online to watch at each product Um, So just to exclude this potential explanation that um, we find the effect between the two different channels because in one channel they do see the products and in the other channel they did not see the products.
0: Right, right. So, you know, so in a traditional grocery store, all of the products are out for display and you can't Mm -hmm. avoid or you can't help but, but, but be exposed to all of that. Uh, whereas online, you need a way of making you know of categorizing products, and so you'll you'll bucket things into you know like mm-hmm. products, and and so consumers can avoid exposing yeah. themselves to all these options, um, and therefore yeah. the result is fewer vice choices. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So and, if, and of
1: course, in in an offline context, you also have the possibility to avoid it, but. Um, it's a bit harder eh? if the products are uh, that you want to have are spread across the store, then you have to go to different <laughs> islands. And, uh, yes. Yeah.
0: So, so if you're a, an online marketer of vice products, you want to find ways of, of getting that exposure, um, and being careful about, um, you know, grouping things too tightly, uh, so that people, it's their choice to get that, that exposure, um, versus, um, forcing them to get the exposure.
1: Yeah, but it certainly will play a role. Um, but for us, um, it's not the case that if people that this explained uh, the difference in in the effect, eh? so or uh, the difference in the in the percentage of vice products that people bought. Eh? So even if online they were exposed to the online, uh, sorry, to device products, yeah. they still bought them to a lesser extent than when it was online. So it was not just the exposure that mattered, but uh, especially the way it was shown, yeah? so whether it was uh, the physical presentation versus the symbolic presentation.
0: Oh, okay. So you're saying, I'm sorry, I, I got it wrong then. So you're saying it's not about the categorization, it's about the presentation.
1: Yes, indeed. Ah,
0: okay. okay. So, Great.
1: It is, I'm not saying that the categorization doesn't matter, but what we found is that if we keep the categorization constant, yes. then we still have over and above that the I effect see. of presentation.
0: Got it. So, so they both might matter, but you're saying when you yeah. control for one, then.
1: Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very good. This is a bit what we did in in our research. We controlled for several factors, uh, such as um, store atmospherics. We we made sure that in our lab experiments, we had a very lean store. There was no music. It was not... um, we didn't use any scents, etc. It was not an attractive store. So just to exclude these things. Um, so yes, eh, store atmospherics will have, will play a role. Um, shopping motives will play a role, but we kept all of these constant. Just to show that what we found is not due to these factors; it's something in addition.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh-huh? Yep. Exactly, and that, that makes perfect sense how you how you approach that, and and I love how you were able to um, completely isolate the variables uh, of interest. So so clearly this um, this applies to indulgent foods um, <laughs> at least at least with respect to vice products. What about yeah. other indulgent products um, that are available online or in store like like jewelry and exotic vacations for example? Do you think these findings apply here too?
1: Thanks. I- it applies to the extent that the products are more vivid uh, offline than online if you're talking about um, an exotic vacation for example and you go to an offline travel agency where they would just show you a brochure with pictures in it then i guess it will not make a difference hmm? because it's also an, mm. a symbolic presentation then that you get offline just as it's uh, as in is the case uh, online so then there is not much difference between them so in that case i wouldn't expect any difference the jewelry is something different why because there's there are other factors that come into play then if you have jewelry then people will touch it and they will try it on and then this aspect in itself and uh, by having touched it and uh, having tried it on um, this is what we call the endowment effect. It mm. means you don't want to get uh, lose it again. Eh? So if you have um, to leave it there and not buy it, it feels like giving it up. It feels like losing the product, right. and that makes yeah people want want to hold on and want to have it then just because they have touched it and because they have tried it on yeah yes. and that is very powerful in an offline context so i would expect to find a difference between online and offline certainly for jewelry and clothing etc but yeah for the exotic vacations only if um, the pictures are much more vivid or if people can give something in addition um, to people, so to make it more close to them, eh, so that their uh, senses are more touched upon um, than in an in an offline con. Uh, oh, sorry, in an online context, uh, I would expect a difference, but otherwise not.
0: Yeah, interesting. Great response, by the way. Um, it, it makes me think about these online retailers of apparel and eyewear, where you can you know, uh, upload an image of yourself or, or, you know, from the camera on the video, um, you can put on a virtual pair of glasses. And, yeah. Yeah. and so, you know, <laughs> thereby creating the endowment effect, right. Um, mm-hmm. in, in a virtual environment, um, very, yes. very interesting. So, yeah. so I'm curious when doing this work, uh, was there any learning or discovery that you found, you know, really, uh, you know, most interesting to you personally? Um
1: yeah so I already mentioned it a little bit before eh? so from the beginning we we expected to find differences mm-hmm. but we thought it would be driven by the by other things eh? like for example that in an offline context you can have the products immediately while in an online context there is this order lead time you have to wait and that dit- this in itself would already explain a difference yeah um, or such as the store ambient elements, yeah, the store atmospherics like the music and the sense, etc.
0: Yes.
1: But yeah, uh, I was kind of surprised that if we control for all these factors, and so people could have the products right away, etc. Um, there was no store atmospherics. Uh, the shopping motives were const- uh, were constant. Um, even then, we did find this uh, difference, and I was kind of surprised, especially because. 80% of grocery uh, items in a supermarket are not fresh products, unpacked products, but have a packaging, an opaque packaging. I was kind of surprised that that even for these type of products, we found this difference.
0: Yes, yes. So, so, And, and for me, I think that was also the most interesting finding as well. Is it going to change the way that you shop online or in store, <laughs> knowing what you now know?
1: <laughs> well, I knew already for a longer time that uh, when you go to a supermarket you have to be careful. <laughs> <In the countryside, laughs> supermarket. So what I usually do is uh, I draw up a shopping list hmm, and I take that with me and I actually make this shopping list in such a way that the products that are on my list are in the order in which I see them in the supermarket. So they are in an exact sequence as in which they are ordered in store. Yes. And that allows me to skip the ales I don't have to eat <laughs> and uh, to be exposed only to the products that I need to buy. So it reduces impulse purchases in this way. <laughs> uh,
0: yes. Well, you know, if, if you're trying to shop virtuously, uh, they say stick to the perimeter of the store. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, then then you're on your own <laughs> once you start going down the aisles. But but of course, um, you know, we, we, it's important that people go down the aisles, especially for our, our vice marketers as well. And, and there's there's a place for vices, um, you know, in our in our lives, and 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 so you know they're important oh, yeah. too. Not not, uh, not suggesting that uh, that one is necessarily uh, quote unquote better than the other. Um, so. Um, so, for those who want to learn more about consumer behavior as it pertains to virtues and vices, because this, this is a, again a topic that really caught my attention, um, you know, long before your paper, and then your paper just you know added another layer of understanding. Are, are there any books um, uh, or, or papers that you found particularly informative on this topic that that maybe uh, people might want to look look for?
1: Well, uh, I like the book of um, Roy Baumeister and Jerny and O'Hare a lot, and it's uh, called Willpower. Mm. But it's already from 2011, but I liked it a lot. It's about self-control, etc., cetera, and um, how difficult it sometimes can be. And if you have self-control in one instance, then just because of that, later on you actually indulge, yeah, because... Your your willpower actually has become depleted and yes. Uh, yeah mm-hmm. yes yes so so I like that work a lot and uh, you also have very nice work uh, by Ilya fishback uh, he has several papers on goals and temptations and so on mm. um, so I like that a lot but there, there is really a lot of information out there and many, many interesting and uh, very useful papers. So it's it's very hard to, to make a, a selection here. Yeah,
0: no, I, I understand. And I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. Um, but you're <laughs> right. Like like I said, you know, back in I think it was 2009 when I first started investigating the literature, um, there was already an overwhelming amount of literature even yeah. at that time, uh, on these topics. So uh, so there's a lot to be found if, if you decide yes. to go looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, for
1: example, um, also a recent paper, and this is about the frequency of shopping, and that this also affects the healthfulness of your uh, food choices. And what they found is that the more often you go to the store, so people who have a higher frequency of, of uh, grocery shopping than other people, yeah. they buy less healthy food.
0: Mm. Oh, wasn't that interesting? Very yeah. interesting. Um, so, uh, so we talked about a lot of of your paper, and I think we, uh, from my perspective, I think you covered the, the the major areas. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that that you wanted to make sure that we 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 had mentioned to?
1: Um. Oh. Not really, I think. Perhaps we didn't mention explicitly that in our first study, it was a database study with very many consumers. Uh, So actually, our first study, um, yeah, it was about... um, more than 30,000 shopping trips uh, and it was uh, by more than 4,000 different uh, shoppers. Um, So, in that sense, it was pretty representative, I guess. Um, And then later on, we complemented that research and that study with fully controlled lab experiments. So, this is a bit um, how we, we did it. So, but this first study is kind of special, I guess, in the sense that most other researchers didn't have access to such a big database than we had.
0: Uh, that's, uh, thanks for raising that. Um, and, and even within the data set that you had, uh, if I remember correctly, were you not able to um, segment people who bought in-store exclusively, online exclusively, and, and a mix
1: Yes, so we based our analyses um, mainly on the mixed channel shoppers, meaning that sometimes they buy online and sometimes they buy offline. Um, But it's the same characteristics that they have, of course, eh, because we were afraid if we would uh, do the analysis uh, for people who only shop online versus those who only shop offline, then you would also have the impact of different education levels, etc., or income levels. Because we know eh, that um, shopping online is related to such demographics. But by um, examining only the mixed channel shoppers, eh, so people who do both, eh, so sometimes they do one and sometimes they do the other, we exclude this uh, yeah, confounding aspect, actually, because yeah, their social demos remain the same, of course. You know? Yeah. So, and even what... Um, afterwards, when we did compare with um, people who only shop online and people who only shop online, we did results actually than for the mixed channel shoppers.
0: Uh, so, I, I'm sorry, it cut out a little bit what you're saying when you're comparing only online versus only offline. Uh, what did you find?
1: Exactly the same than for the mixed channel shoppers. Oh, okay.
0: So it, it validated we, the. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. But we didn't dare to report that in the beginning because we thought people will have this critique that right. uh, it's a different type of shoppers. And that's why we mainly focused on this mixed channel shoppers. Right,
0: right, right. OK, good point. Um, so, so you know, another thing that I loved about this work is that um, throughout it, I mean, there's there's really something for everyone um, in here, whether you're an online marketer, an offline marketer, uh, a category manager, a shopper marketer, uh, package <laughs> designer, retailer, manufacturer, uh, consumer shopper insights, everyone can benefit from the lessons that you that you learned and and, and brought to our attention. So so uh, thank you, and on behalf of you know the entire marketing community, thank you for this work. It's it's incredibly valuable. Um, so um, so uh, finally, what, what other studies are you working on, um, any, anything in a related area?
1: Um, yes, um, so it's not just me of course, we have a sure. whole team and we have several PhD students and um, um, other things we have been working on is, for example, the type of package that uh, that is used if it's a resealable package or not resealable package mm-hmm. and there we also find that if it's a resealable package then people consume less of the product than when it's non resealable. Um, Another type of packaging element we looked at was, um, for example, if you have mayonnaise or butter, you have these squeeze tubes, do you know them? Yes. Versus versus the traditional jars. Correct. And then we also found um, if you use the squeeze tubes, then you consume less of the product than when it's the jar. And why is this, well, exactly the same reasoning as for the resealable packages? It's because you start thinking about it more. Mm. So, and so with a, a squeeze tube and you take mayonnaise of it, then you see the pile growing on your plate and you're more likely to say like, oh, this is enough. And you stop earlier than when you just take a spoon and a jar and then you take more mayonnaise, for example, than, than you need. Uh, but... Then afterwards, you also eat it. Mm-hmm.
0: Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I guess when you're looking down upon a, uh, well, you're saying it's not about how much product is left in the container; it's about how much product you're dispensing.
1: Yes, indeed. indeed. Wow, isn't that
0: interesting? Because you know, yeah. in, in either case, you can still see the mayonnaise. Um, yeah, yeah. Yet yeah. somehow the, the 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 tube has has a, a greater effect. Yeah,
1: um, but it seems to be a kind of barrier, and that uh, it's not such as uh, mindless consuming anymore, but that you right. start thinking about it, also with when it's resealed, huh? when you have a package and you reseal it, that people think twice before they open it again, while when it's open, then they don't have this barrier, and they're more likely to keep on uh, consuming.
0: Isn't that interesting? Um, so, you know, make things simple for consumers. <laughs> you're adding a step when they have to reopen it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Maggie, this has been really terrific. Uh, I appreciate you, you know, hanging out late on a Friday afternoon for us. Um, but uh, but it's been a real pleasure to speak with you and learn about this work. So, so best of luck with your future work. And we'll certainly have to follow up uh, and, and see how, you know, these, you know, some of the new work that you're working on or future work. Uh, how that turns out because this is of interest to all of us for sure.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'd like to give a special thanks to Decision Breakers for making today's episode possible. We'll see you next time on Shoppernomics.